something curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. 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 Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science fact and science fiction. Well this is the first TGP Nominal of 2018 and it's a little bit later than we normally would do it but it was getting people together and stuff, well, you know, with uh, the holidays and everything. And uh, gotta wish someone Happy New Year and that will be John Berger. Happy New Year sir. And may you have a joyous arbitrarily created new orbital period around our nearest stellar body. Yeah, if it doesn't go supernova. No, um, anyway. Uh, what? <laughs> that's not likely to happen for a long time yet. You know, the way this world is going, that might actually be a good thing. <laughs> that would that, be a good thing that it does happen. But we're not going to talk politics here. So today's a bit of a mixed bag of a show, mainly because we've been neglecting the, the more geeky side of things with the more factual side of things. And it's an ideal opportunity for us to be a bit more geeky because of a certain movie that has recently been released. And it's been, I think, a long enough time for us not to worry about whether people have seen it or not. (laughs) Cool, I've been wanting to talk about Suicide Squad. (laughs) You have? Um... (laughs) That would be nice. (laughs) Um, That's a little bit later on. Before we carry on, we, we have got a, a little bit of sad news that we have to pass on. Some of you might know about this already. Since our last show, we have lost two legendary NASA astronauts. Firstly, Bruce McCandless, uh, who was a mission specialist on STS-41B and STS-31. He passed away on December the 21st, 2017. He was probably best remembered flying alongside the space shuttle in the manned maneuvering unit or the MMU. He was the first astronaut to fly untethered from his spacecraft. Now that takes nerve. Just a little bit. Yeah. Because if that thing failed, he served as the mission control communicator for Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin's moonwalk on the Apollo 11 mission. So that was a really important job. Mm Mm-hmm. He was also a member of the astronaut support crew for Apollo 14, and he was the backup pilot for the first crewed Skylab mission. As we said, he, he, he flew on the STS-41B uh, in 1984, where he performed that famous spacewalk. And in 1990, he was on STS-31, where he helped to deploy the Hubble Space Telescope alongside Charlie Bolden. When talking about his famous spacewalk, Bruce McCandless wrote in 2015, My wife Bernice was at the mission control and there was quite a bit of apprehension. I wanted to say something similar to Neil Armstrong when he landed on the moon. So I said, It may have been a small step for Neil, but it's a heck of a big leap for me. That loosened tensions a little bit. Which I think that's really cool. (laughs) So, yeah, he's had a massive career. And then secondly, and not less important, John Young. Uh, What can you say about John Young? I mean, he's walked on the moon during Apollo 16, and he commanded the first space shuttle. Um, He died on the 5th of January 
He started his career in 1962 when he was selected from among hundreds of young pilots to join NASA's second astronaut class, known as the New Nine. After hearing President Kennedy's bold proposal in 1961 to land a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth, John Young said, I knew what I had to do. This is the man who stood on the moon, drove 16 miles in a lunar rover and spent three nights on the lunar surface. He's the only person to go into space as part of the Gemini, Apollo and the space shuttle programs. And he was the first to fly into space six times, or maybe seven times, if you count his liftoff from the moon. When I see footage of him, I think of him having nerves of steel. Uh, If you've ever seen the the coverage of the the first shuttle launch, uh, there's the bit when they're going to breakfast and having their steak for breakfast and the usual traditions that they have. You've got Bob Crippin sat next to him and he's looking a little bit nervous. John Young is like, yeah, another day at the office. (laughs) And I'm thinking, man, this guy is unmovable. (laughs) Um, At that time, when I was watching these videos, I didn't actually know that John Young had been on the moon. So finding that out, as well as being the first commander of the space shuttle, is just extraordinary. Now, we've had some other bad news from the guys at Field of Force Day. This is actually from Simon. It's with great disappointment that we announced we're cancelling our London 2018 event. When we announced we were holding it, we had full confidence that we could make it a spectacular event and we are very grateful for the confidence our guests, venue, costumers and visitors have had in signing up to host us or coming along. Since booking the venue in November 2016, some of you may know that my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. This was treated throughout 2017 and she was given the all clear in October. In November, Gail found another lump. After making an appointment, she had been referred to for a scan and she's been told this week that it's nothing to worry about but the process of finding this out can take weeks and causes me great stress each time. It is almost inevitable this will happen again. This has been a constant distraction for me and has meant I have been unable to achieve the milestones that I have set myself in preparation for the London event. Therefore, I cannot be confident that we are going to make it work. I'm very sorry to let you down, but I think it's better to be realistic about what we can achieve in these new circumstances than to hold a substandard event that put at risk the fantastic events we already have organised. Obviously, everyone who has booked a ticket or stand will be refunded in full, and I will be processing these over the next week. We are focusing our efforts on making Peterborough as fantastic as we can after last year's huge event, and this will be going ahead as planned. Thank you for your support and understanding, Simon. You know, we're all behind them, 100%, -hmm. and whenever they're ready to do the London event, we'll be behind them for that. Yes, family first. Yeah, definitely, every time. Now... If you've been looking at our Facebook page recently, you would have noticed that uh, there was a post about honorary crew member Ryan Kobrick, who's going to be um, the commander of the International Space University's alum crew at the Mars Desert Research Station. Now, Ryan has contacted us about recording a special podcast while he's there, and we'd love some listener participation for this podcast. 
So if you would like to ask Ryan and the crew anything about the mission, send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com. Or click on the social media icons on the top left of the page at tgpnominal.weebly.com. The deadline for your submissions is Friday, January the 26th. Ryan's a cool guy. That's going to be fun. Um, he's also doing a thing for YouTube, which is his commander's log. So it's going to be very Star Trek-ish, I would imagine. <laughs> Careful, we don't want CBS going after him for that. <laughs> well, it's commander's log. It's not captain's log. Well, still. <laughs> it is a very interesting thing that they do there. It's in the in Utah. Everything they do is a simulation of what would happen on Mars. The habitats and everything that they've got there, the workstations, are all set out like you would be on Mars. They've got airlocks and everything else. When you go out actually into the desert, you would be wearing a spacesuit. Yeah, so they'll be doing different experiments and things uh, and working out coursework for the students. Ryan has been involved in this before when he was a student. <laughs> So he knows what it's like. <laughs> and he's really excited about getting involved in, with it again. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be great. But we've already had these Mars simulation things. Mm-hmm. Or is this different? Is this just like another phase of it? It's uh, another phase. Obviously, there's constant things that they've got to do experiments on. So this information can be passed on to NASA and other bodies so that they can research more into living on other planetary surfaces, preferably right, Mars. I mean, but the last one, didn't they just exit back in September, I think? Or is this a different one? It's a different one. Ah. This one has actually been set up, as I say, by the International Space University. There are other bodies that do them, but this is kind of... Well, un- I mean, I'm sure that they've all been done in conjunction with NASA in some way. Mm. And it also puts the students in good stead for possibly being crew members for future missions. Right. You you said this one's in Utah? Yeah. Okay, because I think the one in September was Hawaii. Yeah. (laughs) Slightly different states. But Utah is a lot more barren. Well, parts of Utah anyway. It's going to be great. And I'm looking forward to the stuff we're going to get back from Ryan. Yeah, that'll be fun. That's what we wanted to put in the intro because it's not a space orientated show today, but we and we could make it partially. Yeah. Well, There's we, lots of stuff we could talk about. We kind of wanted to get those bits in because yeah, we wanted to pay our respects to the the two astronauts. We needed to get the word out there about Ryan's mission because we need the questions to come in from our That's lovely listeners. So with that said, I think we'll carry on with the the main body of the show, which we'll do after this quick break. Have you ever wanted to get far, far away from it all? To a planet where no one will ever find you? Well, that place is closer than you think. Welcome to Earth's Wild Atlantic Way in Ireland. A welcoming pre-hyperdrive society. Friendly indigenous wildlife. And more than a few fun activities to train your apprentice. Earth's Wild Atlantic Way. Shooting location of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Escape the dark side along Earth's Wild Atlantic Way. It's the perfect place to 
get away from it all. This is TGP Nominal. Enough weeks have passed, and the diehard fans have already seen it, so we will most likely be breaching spoiler territory. Uh, before we start, then, I ought to press this button right here. shouldn't have to wait. Everybody who wanted to see it should have already seen it. In fact, do I have the article here? Eh, I do. Here. Obviously, people have been seeing this movie because globally, it has made $1.2 billion worldwide as of the last official results, which were probably yesterday's results. So really, anybody in this audience who has wanted to see it has already seen it. Let's just pretty much go with that. Let's just say, if you haven't seen it yet, you're, you're behind the guys at the International Space Station because That's even true. they have seen it. I mean, they saw it over Christmas. I've actually got a photograph that I'll put in the show notes of them actually watching it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really nice of Lucasfilm to do that for them. Yes, I mean, either you haven't seen it or you're not worried about spoilers. I'm the kind of guy I'm not worried about spoilers. I don't care. It doesn't faze me. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll read the entire premise of a movie before going to see it. Because, uh, you know, when you read something, it's your imagination that you that takes you there. Then you're seeing it through the eyes of somebody else, through the director's eyes. And, well, it's, and not, it's not even just that. It, it, it's, it's, to me, movies are about the journey. Too many people, I think, look at the destination, and that's why the whole, oh, spoiler, don't tell me anything. Uh, I don't care about that. I don't, I don't care about the destination. I care about the journey. Like when I was reading The Lord of the Rings for the first time and, and Gandalf died. Mm-hmm. All right. Or I don't want to say that. He, he fell off the bridge. I was like, you got to be kidding me. You, no, this doesn't happen. And I actually read ahead and I'm like, oh, good. He, okay. He comes back as Gandalf the White Fine. And it's like, oh, well, now wait a minute. So he comes back. How did he come back from that? And then I was even more interested. It's like, wait a minute. Now I got to find out what happened. <laughs> I, I kid you not. That's the way my brain thinks of these things. So I don't worry about spoilers, you know, and I certainly you can't glean an entire two hour or in this case, two and a half hour movie. Yeah. From reading Wikipedia for three minutes. Sorry. Didn't actually feel two and a half hours. I must admit it didn't. A friend of mine said it best because I said, I'm going to post an unpopular opinion. I thought the movie was meh. And he came back and said, yeah, that isn't an unpopular opinion because everybody either loves it or hates it. Yeah. Which is what we call in the UK a Marmite moment. Oh, jeez. You either love it or hate it. That's I get it. But yeah, I mean, I I took my oldest daughter to see it and we walked out of the theater and we just looked at each other and we're like, uh, I don't know how I feel. It was a good film. Yeah, it wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't, just wasn't. It was a little bit slow in places. But, but as you said, it, w- it was two and a half hours, but it didn't feel like two and a half hours. Nah. So they were doing something right Yeah, that's when, it came, sure. when it came to pacing. I want to play something in. This was recorded at the IMAX Odeon Last Jedi event on December the 16th. And uh, yeah, I think you'll recognize one of the voices here. So I'm at the uh, Odeon IMAX in uh, Milton Keynes, and uh, with me I have Liz Springs. Hi, howdy, and good afternoon. (laughs) Now, you can understand why we have her on the crew, because uh, I don't know what the phrase I'm looking for, crazy as a box of frogs, is probably not the (laughs) I have heard that one before, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But you're here for a reason, aren't you? 
I am. I am all kitted up and trooping today. We are all Star Warsing it and collecting for charity today. And it's a really good event because there's a, a, a good turnout by Joker Squad today. Yeah, we've got a First Order TK, we've got a couple of regular Stormtroopers, we've got um, R5-D4, we've got R2-D2, my personal favourite. Uh, Princess Leia has put in an appearance, Darth Vader has been showing his uh, helmet every now and again. And we've got Poe, we've got a clone trooper, we've got a scout trooper, so we've got a really good mix from across the old and the new films. So it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's almost been like a train station because how it's working is the majority of the characters come out as and when each screen empties from watching the actual movie and seeing the reaction on people's faces is just remarkable. Well, one of the fun ones is um, Chewbacca is also lurking. So, And speak of the devil... Here he comes. And that was exactly what I was going to point out, was that people will be standing about, having their coffee, getting their popcorn, and then suddenly the Wookiee roars. And it's like, oh, there's a Wookiee. Didn't expect that one in the middle of the movie theatre. <laughs> well, the, the thing is with the Wookiee, was lounging earlier in the foyer here, and uh, they're going to be forever taking hair out of that sofa because, yeah, he just sprawled out and it was... An awesome sight. You would not believe how much Wookiees molt. I, I, there is Wookiee hair in all of my kit bags and kit boxes, and I find it at home. I find it in my car, and I know it's not me because anybody who's seen a picture of me knows my hair is electric blue, so brown is definitely not my shade. <laughs> Now that sound you're hearing right now is an R2 unit with a reversing signal, which you don't often hear. Oh, the droid, the, we're here with, obviously we're here with Joker Squad and we're here with the R2 Builders Club and I love trooping with the R2 Builders Club. I love the different droids, I love how creative they can get with the basic design parameters, I love all the different... The work that goes into programming each different sound and combination is just astronomical. <laughs> it is. Um, I'm hoping to have a word with uh, one of the guys from the uh, R2 Builders Club, actually. Um, I've been saying it to him for the last two Field of Force days that I will get word with them, and I've never got round to it. I will make that happen. Um, I, I, I am armed. I have a blaster. I will make that happen. I've, I've promised uh, James from the, the Builders Club that I would, I would do it. And, uh, well, I think one thing that people may not realise is one of the really cool things about the Builders Club is that quite a few of them, their droids, are in the film. That's correct, um, yeah. And it is, it's surreal and it's exciting when you see toys and things in the store. In fact, one thing I saw just uh, yesterday is it's an R2 unit um, calendar. So it's got the blocks with the numbers on it where you turn them around for each you know, date. Mm-hmm. And it's R2BHD, which is short for R2 Big Happy Dude, which is the um, loving, loving work of um, Brad. And is one of my personal favourites from the R2s because last year Brad very kindly, stupidly, 
pick, pick your uh, adjective. Let me loose with the controls okay. on R2BHD. And R2BHD is in Rogue One. He is actually in there. Okay. Um, I confess I can't remember the denomination they gave him because they changed it, but I remember the write-up being that he'd got a glitch in his programming, so he was scared of heights. Okay. So he couldn't go in the X-Wings, so he stayed on base and was um, was like a mechanic droid. Um, but each di- he'd got over 300 different programs on that controller that did different things or different movements he had like 10 different songs that it would play <laughs> and different dances that said this the sheer just amazing the amount of time that must go into programming these things and i love them i admit i am a huge droid fan so it's just i, I nerd out even more over them <laughs> i must admit i am as well and ever since the invention of Star Wars Rebels, um, I Chopper. love Chopper. I oh, love Chopper. I didn't, I didn't think there could be a droid that was more obnoxious and rude than R2, and then Chopper came along. And <laughs> He's just awesome. He is, and oh my lord, he's, he's so foul-mouthed, it's amazing. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. <laughs> One of the other nice things is you are saying about James. James, uh, his droid is the, uh, the R5 unit that's here today. That's right. Um, last year, R5 was not upwardly mobile. He was uh, static scenery. So it's really nice to see that over the course of the year, R5 is out and about and looking his best. Now, the R5 unit um, isn't functioning properly at the moment. Uh, there's one thing that he has as a trick that it's been uh, disabled for a, for a little while, which is... Uh, when he's, uh, when he's motivated goes and it sort of pops out the top with a puff of smoke and uh, that is fun <laughs> to see. Well, the other nice thing is, I mean, R5 is actually, he's wooden. Yeah. So it also, for, you know, droid nerds like me, it also sort of shows you the different ways that you can do things on a budget. I think certainly with the costuming, and obviously that is mainly my forte, the cosplay, is people can get put off by the costs. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just do a quick Google and don't know what you're Googling and look up, for example, like Stormtrooper armor, and you see price tags like £1,000 pop up, you're going to go, ah, I can't sell a kidney, and my wife would probably shoot me if I spent the mortgage money on a TK. <laughs> um, yeah. But if you're willing to put the time in and do the hunting and do a lot of the stuff yourself, then some things can be done a lot easier. Oh, and yeah, sure. The only downside, I will say, is that it is addictive. I will throw this health warning up now for the love of God and the force and all things. Oh, if you get it, the minute you start getting into costuming, that's it. You're... It's, mm-hmm. you're hooked you start looking at other things you realise that you've watched an entire movie have no idea what went on in the plot because you were so busy looking at one of the costumes looking for every single freaking seam <laughs> just for doing something so it is you know turn back now just, if not just, you have been warned just buy the DK books no, no, because if you do stupid things like me and think I'm going to do a costume from the original trilogy that's only not actually all that popular as, say, certain bikinis, um, there's not actually a whole lot of reference pictures. And obviously, being filmed way back when and being grainy, there's not a lot of reference pictures going. So, but we do these things for fun, honest. 
Fun is one word, obsession is another. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that word too. <laughs> I, I have heard that word used in reference to me, yeah. Um. Any, anybody who's uh, been listening to the, the podcast uh, this year, when we first got introduced to Liz, <laughs> when she was talking about the amount of costumes that she's got, not just for Star Wars, but for <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Hey, that was six months ago, you're behind the times now. <laughs> Obviously, um, in September, I finished my Peggy Carter from Captain America First Avenger, or Agent Carter, the TV show. Yeah. Uh, That was a new one for me. Um, Everything else that I do is generally a lot more... Certainly, I've been, obviously, because I've been doing a lot of Jediing, I've got a lightsaber all the time, and Peggy's no lightsaber. Peggy's heels and just hands-on hips and looking very, very vintage glamorous. That was a new one to get the hang of. (laughs) I shall say no more. Um, Today is the first outing in my um, A New Hope Imperial Officer, so I'm all in black with a lovely blaster. Uh, I am three-quarters of the way through a DC bombshells Batwoman. Okay. Baseball dress, it's fantastic. I get to wander around cons with a baseball bat. You have been warned. Nice. Um, I'm also working on a Ghostbuster at the moment because it's just basically, you know, the 80s. These so much good stuff came from the 80s, and we're still living it. Um, mm-hmm. I did for the Love of Sci-Fi two weeks ago up in Manchester with Sentinel Squad and UKG and Rebel Legion and Joker Squad. Um, and the R2 builders again. Uh, we raised quite a lot of money. Um, that you might be able to, to hear something just in the background. Chewie's getting hungry. You can hear um, some music just there, um, which was the disco version of the Star Wars theme. <laughs> that is also coming from an R2 unit, believe it or not. That's the same reversing R2. I'm going to throw a shameless plug in because I adore these guys. If you have not heard of them, there is a band out there called Blues Harvest. They're a UK-based band, and they do a fabulous collection of 80s movies covers like Ghostbusters, Footloose, you know, the good songs, and um, Star Wars parody songs. Uh, And they did... They did a tribute to Carrie at the Cantina gig that, at, for the Love of Sci-Fi. Okay. And they'd got a beautiful video that was all cut together, um, like behind-the-scenes clips from not only Episode Eight but the original trilogy as well, and a really sort of beautiful progression of young Leia mm-hmm. through to now. And yeah, not a dry eye in the house. But they'd done a par- they'd done a parody song to Layla. Oh, right. It's Leia. Um, but I love the guys. They are awesome. Their music is great. I've seen them a couple of times. If you have the chance to see them, I really recommend it. If you're an 80s fan or a Star Wars nerd, they are awesome. Awesome. I might have to look into that because we could probably... I am hoping to get them involved in more stuff next year because they are really great guys. They are a fantastic band and I love them. I do. I really love them. I first heard them last year mm-hmm. at Celebration. There was a secret cantina gig at the O2 that they were raising money for charity with um, and they were the opening act and they just completely stole the show from me. Awesome. So I was thrilled when I saw they were playing for the Love of 
sci-fi. Um, I mean, get, getting a few musical numbers for the podcast would be excellent. So I think we could work on that. I think <laughs> I think the guys would be up for that, to be honest, because they, as I said, they are great guys, really, really great guys. So. But yeah, check them out. Blues Harvest, definitely worth a listen. Excellent. Well, Liz, it's been fantastic talking to you again. You too, sugar. No worries. The thing that I love about that recording is just listening to the, all the stuff that's going on in the background. <laughs> that did blow me away the first time I saw that R2 unit with the reversing signal. <laughs> and then when it started playing Weird Owl, that was just, whoa. <laughs> what can you say? they got to have fun on these things. Yeah, it was a really good fun event. Um, I actually got to catch up with Ross whilst I was there as well. It was really good, wasn't it? <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of characters there. <laughs> they were pristine, weren't they? They yeah. were amazing, especially the Wookies. The Wookies was just out of this world. <laughs> and you had some bits to do, and then the next thing I saw was this message from your other half saying, "Look, he's tried on <laughs> this this Wookie onesie." Yeah, we went to was it CK Max or something, wasn't it? Or <laughs> Primark, I think it might have been. Yeah. And yeah, they had a, a Wookiee onesie, and I was forced, forced, I must say, <laughs> to put it on and take a picture and send it to you saying, I found my costume. I'll be back, I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> I yeah. didn't buy it just to, you know, just to throw it out there. It's actually not bought. <laughs> it was just for fun, honest. An unusual event. <laughs> I don't know. I, how's, it, how's it any more unusual than anything else you go to? Well, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, come on. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people that are saying uh, the reason why people didn't like it is because it didn't do the thing for the fanboys, if you know what I mean. What the heck with the fanboys? I, I love the way Kevin Smith put it. I won't use his exact language, but... Um, <laughs> you, you can't do that with him. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to put the explicit label on iTunes really quickly. <laughs> he basically said that... This film was almost like, let's go to The Force Awakens and untie everything that was tied up. Interesting perspective. <laughs> I mean, that could go a couple of different ways. No, it just, eh. there are just too many unanswered questions, I think. And now they're, they're questions that they don't even necessarily need to answer. There were definitely some scenes that were like, wow. Yeah. The hyperspace scene. Yeah, that was really Holy good. Holy cow. That was, uh, my mouth just was like, what? Do you know, I'll tell you a story about that scene also. You've probably seen this story. AMC Cinemas have actually had to put signs up (laughs) warning people about this scene because there is no sound. All right, it's only for... It's about 10 seconds. Yeah. Um, But people have been complaining. I was like, what just happened? And then I realized, oh, I see what they're doing. It's space. There is no sound in space. Well, it's not just that, but it puts the effect on seeing what just happened. Yeah. Because yeah. if you heard it as well, then you'd be like, oh, okay, that was a cool scene. But then you don't hear it, and then you have to let it sink in as to what's happening. And that's what it's like, wow. That was a really cool decision. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Yeah, I can't. The people are like, oh, complaining about that, that AMC needed to do that. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently these people haven't watched Firefly either. No, that scene was just, that was amazing. It was. And there was a couple of scenes, you know, of a similar ilk. There, there's, a, there's a lot of throwback to other things in there. Um, there are a lot of Easter eggs in there. And there's a hell of a lot of cameos in there. 
not as many of them really stood out, not nearly as much in The Force Awakens. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of of continuity errors there, too. Like that hyperspace scene, Finn and Rose were there. They're about to be executed, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, that, that hyperspace scene happens, and then everybody around them is dead except those two. It's like, what? How did that happen? You know, stuff like that. And then that dual fight scene between Kylo and Rey, mm-hmm. that was amazing. That was really That good. was amazing. But then all of a sudden she's on the other planet. It's like, wait, how did she get how she, where, where'd she go? Huh? <laughs> all, of a, yeah, all of a sudden she's on the Falcon at that other planet. It's like, what just happened? She was on the, the ship and you know stuff like that. I was like, that that's weird. <laughs> a lot of people who were like me that were like, eh, you know, eh. A lot of them said that they felt a lot more positive about it on a second screening. Mm-hmm. Usually, if I watch something in 3D, then I have to go back and watch it in another format because I don't actually take everything in because I'm too busy watching the the effects, the 3D effects and things. Yeah, but I, don't, I mean, I don't. I, I saw it in 3D as well. Mm-hmm. The 3D didn't really, no pun intended, stand out for me. It just like like with the Force Awakens, the fight scene in the forest. That was really impressive. Mm-hmm. That one scene where the Star Destroyer just looks like it's coming right out of the screen at you. I was just like, whoa, holy cow. I think with, with The Force Awakens, they did a lot more with the 3D. And this one, it just felt a lot more subtle. Yeah, I think it needed to be subtle in this movie somewhat. It wasn't so subtle in a lot of the the space battles and things. I mean, the bit with Kylo Ren and his... Um silencer his tie silencer um that was pretty good in 3d um but yeah all that kind of stuff yeah it it needs to stand out but yeah the kind of feel behind the movie it needed to be quite subtle unless it was needed the bit with obviously rain training with the the grains off the the floor that yeah that 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 was was cool i didn't did you really get that though? I mean, it, it seemed to me like that was supposed to be the Luke going into the tree part with with Empire Strikes Back. I guess that's what it was supposed to be similar to. Yeah, I can yeah, kind I really of see what that scene was. What that whole scene was about, though. It was she kind of what? looking at herself, multiple ways of seeing herself. She's always looking at herself to try and find who she is, and it's like, well. It doesn't matter which way you look at yourself, you're just going to be you. I guess. It just... I was expecting something more like the scene in NeverEnding Story, where Atreyu <laughs> faces the mirror and sees, you know, I uh, can't remember the kid's name, but sees him reading the book. It's like, wait a minute, I'm actually a kid reading a book. That was that was a really, really cool and, and very impactful scene, but mm-hmm. I was kind of expecting that sort of thing. And it, that kind of turned out to be a little bit of a fizzle as far as I'm concerned, too. It, it just felt more like uh, like the one scene in, in Star Trek The Next Generation where Data ends up getting replicated. Uh, yep, yep. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? And he's holding this crystal trying to close this time portal, and all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of replications, and he's like, one of us is real, which one? Blah, 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 blah. It felt kind of hokey like that. Mm. Um, there was aspects of that that were very similar to Empire's. Um, the bit where Luke was teasing her about, yeah, I can feel the force. Can you can you feel it touching you? Can you feel the force touching you? And it was just that stick. <laughs> that was funny, though. <laughs> I also liked the bit at the beginning where uh, Poe's um, teasing um, Hux 
about um, oh, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm waiting to speak to Hux. Uh, this movie had a lot of good humor to it. <laughs> but then that was similar to the bit in uh, The Force Awakens where he's captured and he's like, right, who talks first? Do I talk first and then yeah. you talk? It's that, it's that kind of... <laughs> Even the, the scene where he's like, where are you from? You know, it's like, nowhere. It's like, that's not true. You know, everybody's from somewhere. It's like, Jack who? You're right, yeah, that's nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> Zinger. <laughs> it did have a lot of funny lines. I'll give it that. It was a bit cheesy, but I kind of like that bit where there's the um, a fire or something in the back of Poe's craft, and he's saying to BB-8, can you deal with it? And all he's got all those little fingers coming out to try and plug holes. Yeah. And then he ends up just sticking his head right in the middle of it to try and stop it. <laughs> But saying about that, Ryan Johnson has said that, because people have mentioned that I've got a bad feeling about this, hadn't come up in this movie. It's the only one that it hasn't come up in. But he said it did, and it was BB-8 that actually said it. Oh. And it actually does ring true, because (laughs) there's a bit where he says, um, Poe says something to him, and a a beep comes from BB-8, and he says, Happy chirps, buddy. As though he's saying, I've got a bad feeling about this, and it's... <laughs> uh, that That's both brilliant and really cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but see, everyone's expecting someone to say it, and they're like, oh, it didn't happen. Well, yes, it did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's talk about the big one, that when I saw it, I was like, you know what? That makes sense. Leia's little surprise... Yes and no. <laughs> no, you're you're on the you're on the in the middle on that one. Yeah, because you've got the people that say I don't think she's learned to use the force as strong as that. But if you've read the books, she did a lot of training, Jedi training. I I really did think though. I thought that was it. Yeah, I, I think most of us did. If she was in the cockpit, or whatever, or the the bridge, and it was going to blow out. Maybe if you know, if she kind of did something in there, which kind of almost like protected her or something, or did something, mm. or she was able to hold on. Yeah, fair enough. And if she had been blown out and died, everyone thought that was a, might have been a nice it way, been, wasn't it? Because uh, Carrie Fisher's yeah. no longer with us, so it might have been a nice goodbye to her. <laughs> At first, I thought, wow, that's that's kind of a little bit on the cheesy side but then I was like you know what if she we know she has force powers because mm-hmm. she's Anakin's daughter and she's reached so, out to Luke many times she yeah so we know that she has force capabilities well when you're about to die if you're going to do your best to use those force powers that's going to be the time mm-hmm. that that part didn't bother me as much because of that it's like okay either I do this now or I'm dead so I get that. That didn't bother me, but I was amazed at how many people that did bother. Yeah. Um, that was, for me, was quite an emotional moment. But obviously the main emotional moment was right at the end. Right at the end during the credits. Yeah, yeah, okay, there is that. But and It didn't know. actually hit me until I saw the words on the screen, in memory of our princess. Yep. But that didn't actually hit me. Did they have to change the music? They played Leia's theme. Of course. And then, woof. Where is my tissues? I need them now. <laughs> yeah. Also, even Luke's little uh, disappearance didn't do you. Well, not when he finally 
met the force when they were firing everything at him i thought that's it he's gone and that hit me there and then he sort of came out of it and just brushed it off and i was like what what (laughs) there's no way he could have withstood that (laughs) well you can when you do it that way (laughs) but they did stuff that was very very clever because I don't know if you noticed it, and I didn't notice it until I saw a couple of clips back from it. When he's on Hatch 2, he's a lot older than he was in his projection. Yeah, I did notice that. And also, but I also, I also noticed that he wasn't leaving footprints. Yeah, that was, like, was the uh, that's weird. Oh, by the way, on that scene, uh, coming up with that scene with all the troops, you know the guy that was there and he sort of reached down and, and sort of went, yep, that's salt. Yeah, what was that about? The main thing there, the guy standing next to him was Gareth Edwards. Oh, jeez, nice. <laughs> I didn't notice. <laughs> I was like, that looks like Gareth Edwards. <laughs> nice. Gave him a little cameo. Um, there was Actually, a lo- weren't, uh, lot of dir- weren't the princes also stormtroopers in that? Uh, yes and no. They did a scene, but I think it was cut. Oh, okay. <laughs> As did the singer Ellie Goulding. Um, Tom Hardy was in it. Another actor who's really known over here. You might know of him because of your feel for British stuff. Oh. Uh, Adrian Edmondson. He was in TV shows like The Young Ones and things like that. Uh, 80s British comedy. He was one of the... um, Officers on the bridge of the Dreadnought just before it got cut in half. So Vivian became an empire or an imperial commander, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't actually believe it because I, uh, I don't know if you were like me. Uh, during the movie, I always stay to the end, right to the end. I read all the credits, even to the point that I noticed that there was somebody in the credits called Mark Taylor, which I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's cool and I saw the list of the people that were in it I went, Adrian Edmondson no it can't be the same Adrian Edmondson sure enough <laughs> um, one of the funniest things um, I've found out about the movie there's an alien race that's um, been quite prominent in these movies there's been a lot of them in uh, the, the Force Awakens and there's a lot of them in The Last Jedi they're called Abednego and there's one in The Last Jedi, and it's the guy who tells the authorities about Finn and Rose parking their craft on his uh, private beach mm-hmm. or whatever it is. And his name is Slow and Low. There is a theme here. Since The Force Awakens, there's been characters named after songs made by the Beastie Boys. And that is one of them. Slow and Low! Is a, a Beastie Boys track. And another one called... Okay. And it's something that J.J. Abrams brought in because he loves the Beastie Boys. Um, there was another one called Allo Asti, which is named after Hello Nasty, and one called Il Comunico, which is named after the Ill Communication, which is probably Beastie Boys' most famous album. Nice. But yeah, he, he tried to get as many Beastie Boys titles in characters' names, and it's bound to be more because he's directing the next one. <laughs> The guy who plays Slow and Low, uh, the voice for it, is the guy... 
from Third Rock from the Sun, the young fella. Oh, yeah. It's uh, that my I can see him. My it, it's failing me, but I can see him. Yeah, but apparently he's been in the last three Ryan Johnson movies, <laughs> so he's in this as well. Nice. <laughs> Edgar Wright was in it. He was a resistant fighter with his brother. And Joe Cornish, who's also a director, was in it. Joe Cornish is the guy who discovered John Boyega. Oh, nice. <laughs> so it was a nice little cameo for him to be in the movie. That's pretty cool. What's your take on Rose? I didn't like her to start with. Towards the end, I did, because you discovered a bit more about her and where she came from, and you know, because uh-huh. she was basically a slave. Right. Would it have worked without her? I don't know. But... I'm hoping there's going to be more for her in the next one. Yeah, that, that was another thing after I saw it, that people were having a lot of contention about her, about how they don't like her, and she's just a throwaway character, and, and like, guys, we got another movie. Give her, you know, give her a chance here. Mm-hmm. She didn't really bother me, but I was surprised at how much she bothered a lot of other people. There was also a really nice touch, because, you know, her sister was a... Uh, the, the bomber pilot yes. got uh, killed at the beginning. Those bombs uh, had stuff written in them in code. And some of the things that were written... Yeah, a bit like some of the stuff that were written on World War Two bombs when they dropped them out of the planes. Ah. So you had things like Hi from Han, um, Hello nice. Snoke, and stuff like that written on them. <laughs> <laughs> and possibly some other stuff that they probably can't really say... <laughs> yeah, probably not. Yeah, yeah, we're trying to keep the show clean. <laughs> but there was also written on the, the helmets of the authorities at the casino planet, it actually said CBPD, so it's obviously <laughs> Canto nice. Bike Police Department. <laughs> I think the planet was a bit... I think that could have been shortened slightly. Yeah, I heard that one a lot. I liked it. There's a lot to take in, a lot to mm-hmm. take in on there. Um, that is where you're going to le- get a lot of your bit part actors uh, when it comes to conventions doing signings now. Right, <laughs> in that right. scene there. Friend of the show, Paul Warren, um, mm-hmm. he was in Last Jedi as well. Really? Yeah. Uh, what, as a casino guy? Yep. He was in the casino. Nice. Obviously, Warwick Davis was in the casino. Yep. Playing another character with W as its as his first initial like every other character he's played has got a w <laughs> i think his daughter was in it again as well gary fisher wow really yeah well okay i guess yeah all right there was um a character there that had a pug like alien dog and that was based around gary fisher Wow. <laughs> there's a lot to take in i mean one of my favorite bits of it um that i didn't actually notice until i saw it again you know the bit where Luke doesn't want to talk to Ray and she gets Chewie to basically kick the door in. Yeah. <laughs> that door was actually made out of part of Luke's X-Wing. Oh, wow. Now, Not surprising. What is surprising about that, if you rewind back to Empires, you know that little round hole that Yoda goes through to get into his house? Uh-huh. That round hole is made out of the escape pod that he actually oh, wow. went to Dagobah on. So oh, well, speaking of Yoda, speaking of Yoda, what do you think about him? I thought oh, it was great. Oh. I loved it. Oh, another emotional moment for me, just seeing him. It was quite emotional for me. And he was a puppet! Yeah. He, I was like, uh, Frank Oz, right through. I was like, that is fan service right there. Mm-hmm. 
And once again, I saw people upset that he was a puppet instead of CGI. I'm like, really? Maybe but, that's a generational thing, but, but I thought it was amazing to see him as a puppet. The thing and, is... And when with a they, good sense of humor, too. Yeah, certainly did. But the, the puppet that they brought in for the original version of The Phantom Menace, which was rubbish. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yes, they made it CGI eventually, which was good. If they'd have stuck to the original drawing for the original puppet, that wouldn't have been so bad. But, um, yes, they did a great job with this. There's another bit there. Apparently, I didn't notice it myself. The, the bit where Yoda says to Luke about Ray having everything that she needs. I, I know where you're going. I heard about this, too, but I didn't catch it in the movie. Um, because for a brief second in the Falcon, there is the books. The books are on the Falcon. So she's obviously stolen the books already. <laughs> <laughs> being yeah, a scavenger. That. Being ah. a scavenger, that's what she does. Oh, once the Blu-ray comes out, I'll look for it for sure. <laughs> you, you can never just look at a building in Star Wars, you know, the, in, the interior of a building and see things hanging on hooks and things and go, yeah, that's just nothing. Yeah. Everything is something in a Star Wars movie. Oh, oh, the one scene, of course. <clears throat> the uh, milking scene. Yeah, I was a bit off-put by that. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be commonplace. <laughs> and there's a lot of no, people... That was a bit like, whoa, okay. <laughs> a lot of people are still saying that that was blue milk, but it wasn't. I thought it was green. It was green. Yeah, that's what I thought. That one, I was just like, wow. And then I thought about it. It's like, well, got to get his nourishment from somewhere. But the, the way he went about it, it's it's obvious that he's been on his own for a very long time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and those creatures, are they know who he is. And they're just like, yeah, whatever. Go ahead. Taps ready. Take what you want. <laughs> but people going on about the Porgs saying, you know, what was the point? When you think about it, the actual island in real time is completely populated by puffins. Uh-huh. Now, what are they going to do? Are they going to completely CGI out all of the puffins? No. Use them in the background. You can't see them very clearly. Only the things that are in the foreground. So you make a few creatures and they're just these little moving blobs in the background. So they were filming there and they saw it and they thought, ah, that'd be quite good. It goes with the, the habitat then, doesn't it? It yeah. actually makes it they're there, so it makes it actually real and it seems more real in the film. Yeah. There was a bit with Chewback, wasn't there, when he was eating one of the uh, the puffins. Yeah. <laughs> and the face on the other one. <laughs> it's like they, they knew exactly what was going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that made me laugh. I did like that. Half of me was expecting him to just, like, scream at them to scare them make them run away and then just chow down. Give them the puppy eye routine. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and there was a, one of the articles was saying that um, Chewie's gone vegetarian. I was like, no, he hasn't gone vegetarian. <laughs> He'll just go and eat that yeah. somewhere else. Was, <laughs> yeah, he just turned his back. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact that they were uh, they ended up nested in the Millennium Falcon as well. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they're just kind of they're just nesting around it while they're flying around through space. And then the uh, th- those other creatures, you know, how do you clean an island like Maria? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it reminded me, there was an episode of Doctor Who, actually, where there was a... It was basically a big hospital, and it was run by these nuns that looked like cats, and it reminded me of that. 
but I just love that bit where oh, what is it now? Something that they they've been spending ages doing, and it just gets completely trashed, and they just look at each other as to say, "Start again." Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt bad for them by the end of the, uh, you know, by, by the time they were off the island. So it's like, man, Ray just screwed up a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> but there is one thing I think you and I and a lot of people can completely agree on with this movie. Not enough Phasma. That is a very wasted character. What are they doing? And I, I don't believe she's dead either. If her armor was enough to, to take all of those blows, I don't think she's gone either. And I think it'd be a really big mistake to get rid of her. Mm-hmm. That such, as you said, such an underused character. She is amazing. I want to see her doing some real serious fight. I want to see her be the real imperial threat. She turned into pretty much this trilogy's version of Darth Maul. I mean, Darth yeah. Maul was an awesome character, and to get killed off that quickly, I was like, well, oh, keep in mind, he didn't man. actually get killed off. Well, yeah, the books. That's, that's true, and and with the Clone Wars and the Rebels series, he was a big part in that. Actually, eventually, he did get killed off by Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> oh, he actually really did. Finally, yeah, he got his own back on him in the end. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, oh my God, Phasma's cool. Phasma, this is going to be awesome. Wait, she's gone again? What? Ah, oh, so frustrating. She's like the bad guy that you want to root for. But the the thing is, I mean, if she's the person that has trained all these stormtroopers... Yeah. And basically, Finn is just a maintenance guy, just a janitor. And he comes along and he can finish her off that easily. There's something not right there. No, she can't be gone. No, no, they've got to bring her back. The one thing I did like uh, is only a, 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 a tiny thing. When Kylo and Finn were fighting in in the last one, Finn got a lot of injuries from the the, the cross member part of the of the lightsaber caught him on the shoulder uh, and burnt through the jacket. And if you look at the new uh, in the new movie, it's been stitched up badly, but it's been stitched up. And they said oh. that um, Poe actually stitched it up. So he could give him the jacket back. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> was that in the movie? I missed. Yeah, I yeah. There's one. this really badly. It's almost like really thick black stitching. It's almost like the you know the zigzag pattern across Charlie Brown's shirt. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that across the shoulder where huh. somebody has very badly stitched this jacket back together again. I, I don't remember that. Although I will confess, I tried not to, but it's a two and a half hour movie. There was a point where. I had to go and uh, visit the necessary. Uh huh. The, the business with Snoke. Yeah. I don't think he's dead. I think they've done a Darth Maul on us, you know. That's certainly possible. I like the way they did it. Yeah, it was clever. It was also kind of Lord of the Ring-ish. Mm-hmm. You know, when it came to uh, Wormtongue killing Saruman. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, because I'm, I'm just going to be here and I'm going to keep insulting the person who is under me and I'm going to keep telling them how they're worthless and... Uh, so then Ren is just like, oh, really? <laughs> Done. I was like, okay, that, I get it. But still, it's like, all right, well, who was he? How did he get to this position? How did we never hear of him before? How did he just come to power? You know, yeah. it's... There and is, yeah, they could still answer that. There is a but, big gap there. 
Um, big gap. And at least when it came to the Emperor, we knew who he was right from the start because Raider talked about him. That's all fine and good. And the Emperor just seemed genuinely threatening. Mm-hmm. Even when it came to the Empire Strikes Back, it's just like, oh, man, he just he just looks bad. And you just felt this nastiness from him. Snoke just felt more like a mob boss. Yeah, there was something not quite right about him. But I, I still think there is more to come with that story. I hope so. If anything, just to draw some conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, by, by the same token, that throwaway line about Ray's parents, I don't buy it. I don't either. I think it was Kylo's way of trying to get a reaction. That's what I think. Not to say that there has to be... I mean, basically, okay, wow, she came from nobody special. All right, that's fine. Nobody's saying she has to come from anybody special. But just the way they kind of threw it out there, and it's like, yeah, there it is. Your parents were nobody. But then Anakin came from nobody. That's true. Anakin did come from nobody, he, which also reinforces my dislike for people who who keep accusing her of being a Mary Sue. You know, because it's like, uh, well, so was Anakin. Hello. So but I don't, for the life of me, think that Anakin was going to be the only one that was a you know a Force baby. So, but it just I don't know. It just seems so throwaway. So the way I see it is her parents knew that she was a forced baby. They couldn't handle it, so they just wanted to get rid of her. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. But the idea of, yeah, they just sold you for money because they were drug or, or uh, you know, alcoholics or whatever uh, no, it was. Drug addicts or whatever, yeah. Really? <laughs> no. And the, and the way he just threw it out there and then it's done. But yeah, I, like, I, wow. I really think he was just doing it to try and get a reaction out of her. So do I. So do I. I know that Mark Hamill said that he there was a little bit of a, uh, an issue there. He was not really too happy with the way he had to portray Luke. He un- he said he understood it when it came to the end of the story, the end of the movie, but he, he basically came out and said, that's not my Luke Skywalker. He did apologize because he said that that kind of stuff shouldn't be brought out in public, but uh, yeah, he wasn't happy with, with the way he portrayed Luke either. I don't know, I, I kind of get it because he got betrayed big time by someone he really trusted, so... I kind of understand why that would send someone into a bit of an emotional tizzy. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. What, what's your what's your final tally? I want to see it again. I, w- I need to watch The Force Awakens again as well. It's reinvented that one for me again now because mm-hmm. the characters are a bit more they're a bit more in depth, aren't they now? Yeah. So yeah, good film. Go see it. For me, I'd, I'd put like thumbs middle, <laughs> not up, not down, right in the middle. I'm, I'm probably about the same to be honest, because as I say, there, there's bits in it I really liked. There's bits in it that I wasn't so keen on, and then there's bits in it like I wouldn't have done it like that. <laughs> yeah, but then it's not me making the movie, so no. I mean, I, I respect that Ryan Johnson tried to do something different because, well, if he didn't, then people would have just said, "Well, this is just a copy of whichever other Star Wars movie." So I appreciate, all, even though you could still feel that this part was taken from Empire, this part was taken from Jedi, oh, most almost definitely. verbatim in some cases. The Snoke, Ray, and uh, Kylo scene. Yeah. There's a big chunk of that out of Jedi, straight out oh, yeah. of Jedi. Which makes it even more infuriating that you don't know anything about him. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'll still get it on you know when it comes out, and if it's not on, on 3D, of course I'll get it that way. Mm-hmm. Even though I knew from the very first showing that Force Awakens was pretty much a carbon copy of the original movie, I went back to see it again a second time in the theater. Yeah, me too. I loved it. This one, I was just like, I've got no incentive to see it a second time. 
I must admit, the, the Force Awakens, the first one, it was all right. I enjoyed it, but it, it didn't do anything. It didn't make me, you know, I didn't come out sort of going yes or whooping with excitement. Rogue One did. I think that's probably the best Star Wars I've ever seen. Don't know what it was about it. It just had it all. And then, yeah, I went to see this one and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was a great film. Oh, did you notice also there's a link between Rogue One and Last Jedi? Well, where are you going with this one? Hyperspace tracking. Yes, because when she was going through the data files to try and find plans for the Death Star, that was one of the things that came up, wasn't it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. So I was, I'm sure that a lot of people, because I was thinking about that too, it's like, when did they learn to track through hyperspace? I was hoping that they were going to go a little bit more on that one, and then I somebody put a, a little meme photo kind of thing of it. I was like, oh, okay, that's where it's from. Mm-hmm. That, that's kind of clever, actually. Uh, actually, if you go through that scene in Rogue One, there's probably a lot of things in there that she mentions that are up and coming. Probably. I mean, she, she mentioned something about Black Sabres. Uh, the dark saber actually came up in uh, Star Wars Rebels. Hmm. Uh, it's actually a lightsaber used by the Mandalorians. Wow. Okay. Hmm. I mean, I, I understand that part of it, but it's going to be kind of weird seeing Mandalorians with lightsabers. Yeah, dark sabers are completely different, though. Basically, the, how the dark saber works is a bit like it's a bit like being the chieftain of a clan. If you own the dark saber, then you are the chieftain of the clan but you've got to prove yourself to get that it's almost like being in highlander you will be the one <laughs> kind of thing Ew, interesting they're just saying it's dark because of the power i don't want to say that i mean it's still a glowing lightsaber or it is the blade is completely different one it looks like a samurai sword oh wow and two the blade kind of glistens almost like it's got glitter in it i'm looking it up oh wow yeah look it's got a it's a sword hilt it's like a samurai sword oh i see what you mean oh wow so yeah it is dark it's like a void yeah it's and it makes a different sound as well it doesn't sound like a normal lightsaber huh and when i saw saw one in action i thought oh that's a serious weapon (laughs) hopefully they will bring that into the movies somewhere Uh, I, i want to see one that isn't animated i want to see one yeah <laughs> huh that is very cool good luck making a toy to look like that though yeah <laughs> somebody did make a replica but it, it's not a functioning thing it didn't have a proper blade on it it was just the hilt it is a cool looking hilt i'll give it that mm-hmm. but yeah good good luck making a full i, I don't see how you could do it <laughs> well pr- you could but it would only work from like one angle yeah but then there's been some really good weaponry coming out of Rebels. The original lightsaber that uh, Ezra Bridger had, which was a blaster lightsaber combination. You kind of put your hand through uh, the handle, kind of like those phaser guns that they had in the Black Hole. Oh, wow. Like that, but with a, if you press the button on it, the blade comes out the top like a lightsaber, so you can use it as a blaster and a lightsaber at the same time. Huh. I like that idea. Really good stuff coming out of rebels and i'm I'm sad that it's going to be the last season of it but yeah it's brought out some really good characters i mean f- for one it brought thrawn back i mean oh what can yes. I say? <laughs> i'm not a book reader but i've got to read the new one it's written by the same guy isn't it that's why i gotta read it <laughs> I, I really i'm not a book reader i've read the lord of the rings like five times there there really aren't a lot of books that i've read a lot obviously i've read the hobbit i've read the silmarillion god help me but i, I could not put down the thrawn trilogy when i was reading them 
so good. They are good. When Disney said these are no longer part of Disney canon, that's all they did. They didn't say that the characters or the environments or anything are no longer valid. Mm-hmm. They just said it's no longer canon. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, everything that is in all of those extended universe books, there's no reason why they can't be part of the universe. It's just they're not canon anymore. Mm-hmm. One of the characters, actually, from the Thrawn trilogy is actually in Rebels, the Nogri. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Actually, the, the Nogri guy that's in Rebels is actually voiced by Warwick Davis. Oh, there's a shock. <laughs> Simon Pegg was in Rebels. No, he wasn't. He was in Clone Wars. Uh, he played Dengar, which is a character that people forget about. <laughs> and the only reason I like Dengar is because he saved Boba Fett from the Sarlacc. Oh, that's Dengar. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we saw him in Empire. Cool. Yeah, briefly. <laughs> Well, you know. Got the, there's some good bounty hunters, though, on that scene. Got, got Bosch, and you've got um, IG-88, and mm-hmm. all that lot. And you don't see many of those characters in cosplay, and there should be. It might yeah, be a bit think Dead would be actually kind of easy to make. You just need a few bandages, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and um, you might need a chest plate, because he yeah. has got one. But yeah, it wouldn't be that difficult to make one. IG-88 would be very difficult. Yeah, just slightly. <laughs> Good luck fitting your head into that helmet. Yeah, and you'd need really thin arms as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. I guess that other one that they had looks kind of like a C-3PO with an insectoid head. Uh, Yeah. I can't remember That'd be his name now. But a lot of the cantina people you could do a lot more with. I mean, not Snaggletooth and Boris Man. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think some of the old figures. The two guys that had the argument with Luke... You could do yeah. those. I think I have seen a couple of those, actually, at conventions. But there are so many characters. I mean, granted, they didn't say anything. They're just there. Yeah. The same with Maz's castle. That was another good scene, actually, in The uh-huh. Last Jedi. Uh, Maz making a return, albeit on a, a view screen. But uh, I'd love to know what she was actually doing there, because she was up against somebody. <laughs> yeah. And, you know... That, well, that's another mystery that they haven't revealed yet. Where did Luke's lightsaber come from? How did they get that from, uh, from Bespin? Bespin. I gather there's a net at the bottom. The Ugg- well, yeah, the but Ugg- it Ugg- just would be nice to you know, explain how, how it was found and how she got it. I just love that joke that went around so, uh, when they were speculating what the first words were going to be when, <laughs> when they met up. And uh, the first words were, uh, was there a hand with that? oh that is another thing actually um luke's robotic hand if you look carefully there's blast marks on there you know when he got his hand shot on um yeah it's it's actually still got the blaster marks on there from when he got shot nice (laughs) that's attention to detail (laughs) i love all that stuff clearly the last jedi is making money it's it's made its money back in spades but just the reception for The Last Jedi has not been what I think most people expected. Certainly was nowhere near as close to what they got with uh, The Force Awakens. And from what I've been hearing, Disney is pretty much expecting to lose their stuff for Solo. I don't know. Again, because... put that in the rumor mill. That's a, that's just a rumor. But you know, meanwhile, other people's other people have been coming out saying, uh, "Yeah, I've actually heard that they're not all that worried about it." I've also but... heard there hasn't been a lot of changes, that many changes from the la- the last people to be in the director's seat to what Ron Howard's been doing. Although there has been some leakage again because 
Um, yeah. I don't know if you remember for The Force Awakens, there was a lot of leakage come through from Lego. Yeah, they made some mistakes. <laughs> um, they've done it with Whoops. the Han Solo movie as well. Oh, really? They've released some... Well, somebody's got hold of some pictures of some of the craft from the movie in Lego form. And these are like pictures of the boxes with possible character names on it and stuff. Well, see, the problem is, though, if this is being done in preparation for some kind of upcoming show, you know, toy show or whatever, what are they going to do? Well, that's true, because you've got the New York Toy Fair coming up yeah, soon. Because that's the biggie, isn't it? That's the one that uh, everyone goes to. Your likes of your Toys R Us people go to those events. I'm not excited for Solo, i got to admit it. I'm interested. I mean, I've always loved the backstory to Han Solo, but I don't think they can make it as pally-pally road trip type thing, which I think it's going to be. As we've mentioned before, he's not a nice guy. No, no, he's not. He's he's done some bad things in his time. Yeah. He's a rogue, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. You don't become a smuggler by being a nice guy. No, no, but especially when you're I, I guess, dealing but, with Jabba the Hutt and such. Oh well, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the thing though. We'll see a lot of his of how he started. It'll be interesting to see how he meets Chewbacca, you know. But it's just the whole thing. I don't. I mean, there, there's other other movies that I think should be made. And yes, that yes, I agree with that. I think that's part of it too, because it's like, do we really need a solo origin story, really? And how much of that is going to actually detract from what we know? It's nice having that mystery to his background, because we don't really need to know anything. We know that he's just like, yeah, dude, you're going to shoot me? Wrong, I'm shooting you first. Blam. Yes, because Han shoots first. You know, we get that kind of attitude from him, and he's very, yeah, you know, whatever, whatever. Let's just get this done, you know. We're, we're in a bit of a hurry, so how about get on board, that sort of thing. We know he's not a nice guy. Do we really need to see the details about that? I'd like to see solo stuff based around some of the original books. I'd love to see some of that. Mm -hmm. um, the audio plays that they've done based around um, Han Solo, uh, Smuggler's Gambit and things like that, they are brilliant as audio plays, and I think they would translate great onto the screen. I don't know about the big screen, but <laughs> maybe a series would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, at least with Darth Vader, you can say what you want about the prequels, but I think it did do a good job of showing his conversion and why he became, you know, again, you could complain about various other aspects of it. I think all three of the, the prequels had their elements. Yeah. There are bits of it I hated, bits of oh, it sure. um, I liked. I particularly liked episode three. I just loved the way that the loose ends tied up to going into episode four. I liked the way they did that. Um, yeah. The only thing that really got me, and I think it got you and probably everybody else, was the way that Vader reacted when he found out that Padme had died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But still, it's like, you get it. You see how this, this kid was basically forced and shoehorned into a way of life that he didn't really fit with. Mm -hmm. and how that led to this problem which led to this problem which led to this problem and then the manipulation from Palpatine and you see how suddenly he starts to think well now wait a minute maybe the Jedi aren't all that good you, you get that and it 
that sequence I think worked. With Solo, it's like, what is there? That's the one thing I liked about The Last Jedi on Canto Bite was the bit when DJ was saying, you think the resistance is all that? You know, when he showed them, mm-hmm. okay, this is the Empire, this is the stuff that these guys are selling them, take right. a look at this, the same guys are selling them to you. It's, it's just doing the same thing it's been doing since the first ever film. Mm-hmm. They've all been getting rich out of it. Well, you, you They think need about to find a way to stop it. What Obi-Wan Kenobi said about what you want to believe is good to a certain point of view. Yeah. There's an actual book based around that what he actually said there it's actually called from a certain point of view mm. and who is to say that the jedi are good who to who is to say that the sith are bad it's only the jedi and everyone saying that the sith are bad and it's only the sith that are saying that the jedi are corrupt yeah so well, it's like that in, in war, war here isn't it yeah on earth i mean look at the world wars and stuff like that mm-hmm. every whatever side you were on you thought you were fighting for the right cause, yeah. for the right side. Well, all wars are started by banking corporations. Oh, yeah. Wars are a profitable thing. In a way, it's horrible to say, but it's really good for technology. All your money is thrown at winning, isn't it? Yeah. So you have a massive spike in, you know, technology jump. Look at the space program. The ship that uh, Yuri Gagarin went up in, that was a ballistic missile. <laughs> yeah. So instead of having a, a nuclear warhead stuck on the top of it <laughs> it had a man yeah. <laughs> you look at it that way you start thinking are we mad <laughs> <laughs> well so basically if you look at space travel and you say well man's space travel you've basically got a humongous great firework and you're strapping a bloke to the top of it and then letting yeah. it off um, let's get a missile <laughs> and strap a bloke to the end of it excellent <laughs> Let's find someone mad enough to go, yeah. But uh, over the years, obviously, it's been made safer and safer. Um, I wouldn't say that it's 100% safe because it's not um, space. And we keep saying this on the podcast, space is hard. Oh, yeah, it's dangerous. It's, It's the most inhospitable thing. Everything about it wants to kill you. Yeah. Everything. There's there's no part of it that wants to keep you alive, is there? No. (laughs) <laughs> it's only you and your technology. Yeah, it's the only it's... thing between that and imminent death. It sounds like episode nine is going to be a little bit later than normal because it's not going to be released until the twentieth of December. In fairness, though, they had to do a complete rewrite from what they were going to do once Carrie Fisher died. See, that's the other thing you see because we thought that she was going to die in the movie. And she hasn't. How's that gonna pan out well, now? You know, they could easily do that simply with she could die between this and the next one, mm-hmm. and then they just cover it with some kind of a funeral scene and a quick backdrop. No different than um, Captain America when, when you know when Peggy Carter. That's it. Thank you. You know when Peggy Carter died. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, you knew she was old. You knew it was about to happen anyway. There's the funeral. You didn't need to show her dying. You knew it was it was coming. Her family did give permission to use unused scenes that were previously filmed in the next movie. Okay. So they're probably going to link it in that way somehow. But, I mean, really, we, we know she's gone. They don't really need to do much of an explanation. Give us something, yes but it's not like they need to have this huge death scene with her. No. But they they do need to do it in such a way that gives her the respect that she should receive. Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. 
Right, I think it's time for another break. And when we come back, it's going to be Ross's first look at the skies of the year. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more, and what is in sight? Behold, the star glows bright white. But the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. Blast off into the potosphere with TGP Nominal. Welcome back to TGP Nominal. Well, as you know, this isn't, strictly speaking, a space-orientated episode, but we can't have a show without Ross's first look at the skies of the year. You, you've got a, a little thing planned for this episode, because there's um, some... Well, not so much unusual, um, because they do happen quite frequently, but it's going to be more orientated towards a certain subject this time around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's mostly going to be about the moon this time. There are a few other bits thrown in as well. I mean, to be honest with you, this month, because we're halfway through it anyway, because Christmas and New Year always gets in the way, doesn't it, at the beginning of the month, mm -hmm. there's not really many planets up. There's not a lot going on in the sky. There's not really any meteor showers. We've either missed one or stuff like that. But there's a few couple of interesting bits. So what I've decided to go for is more not what's happening in the sky, but what can you actually see in the sky? So, you know, like a constellation or a shape or mainly it's about the moon at the moment because everyone seems to be talking about super moons and things like that and it was at the beginning of the month which i'll talk about so i thought yeah why not let's just go for something a little bit different and talk a bit more about the sky rather than events and see how it goes so what have you got uh well as you know it was a new year and uh <laughs> something really wicked happened i happened to be in the pub at the time but the new year as i say i think it started with a bang because whilst revelers were out watching the fireworks on new year's eve a green ball was spotted and recorded flying through the sky and it brightened and sort of popped across the sky leaving streaks what was that was it aliens was it you know a laser uh, it was actually a meteor and what happens is the larger ones can actually last for quite a while and as they burn up they can pop as the gases expand in them and things like that and uh, they're called fireballs so that's what happened and from what i saw it was probably part of uh, a meteor shower that called the quadrantid which is i always find that really it's like quadrantid so quadrantid mm -hmm. quite hard to say and uh Although they have been known to produce about 50 to 100 meteors uh, in a dark sky, their actual peak is extremely narrow. It's only like a few hours, I think, rather than a few days like some of the other meteor showers. And uh, they used to radiate from uh, a constellation called Quadrans Muralis, which, if you've never heard of it, it means mural quadrant, and it no longer exists. So that's probably why you've never heard of it. Uh, it was created by uh, a French astronomer called Jerome Lalande. That might not be pronounced right, but <laughs> I only did French at school and that was a long time ago, so that's the best I'm going to do. Yeah, it was around 1795, and it, it was located between the constellations Boots, which is the herdsman, and Draco the dragon, which is quite a big constellation that sort of loops around but doesn't have that many bright stars, so that's not really that well known either. So it's in between them that it actually used to be, but no longer exists. I think those two constellations have kind of taken over because they're bigger and better and brighter. And uh, this meteor shower actually radiates not far from the star 
Arcturus, which is in Boots, which is a really bright one. You, you can't miss it. It's really, really bright. And what a fantastic thing to see, especially on a New Year's Eve, to be out there looking up in the sky watching fireworks and then space puts on one for you. <laughs> How good's that? I'm gutted because I was I literally walked to my local pub maybe half an hour after and a video was posted on our Facebook page and I was sat in the pub with my first pint for the New Year and I saw it and I was like, oh man, how did I miss that? Well, yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much because it seemed like some of the, the pros missed it as well. Yeah. Um, because there was even messages from the likes of Brian Cox saying, does anybody know about this? <laughs> Has anybody seen it? Because originally they said it was only in the, the sort of like the north northeast area. Yeah. But then we were getting reports in, you know, a lot lower than that part of the country saying yeah. that they'd seen it. People can literally now, with their phones, take a picture or a video like that, post it straight into a group and go, I've just seen this. What is it? Mm-hmm. And then other people get involved, other people message, other people go, wow. And it's like, it's kind of the whole UK is sharing it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what our group was about. UK Astronomy is about getting everyone in the UK to either meet people locally and go and find and look up at the skies and, you know, find societies around them or groups or do that. Someone sees something and goes in there and goes, what was that? Did anyone else see that? And the chances are there is someone else in the UK looking up at that time. See, the thing is, we didn't, I didn't get any reports from anywhere else. So it's, you know, obviously it was that low in the UK. Um, Yeah. But it caught everybody off guard, I think. I've, I've only ever seen one in my life when I was on my honeymoon. And I was, it's a shame that I was on my own. Because <laughs> when you see it, you actually almost want to sort of shout out loud. <laughs> but there's no one there. You're kind of shouting at yourself. But you're so kind of like, it is, it is amazing how bright they actually burn. And they light up the whole area if you're in a field in that. Because I was there doing it. And yeah, it's great. It might still be on our Facebook group further down the posts if you want to go and have a look at it. Or probably just Google it or YouTube. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it would be there for you to see. But it was a really prominent wasn't it it didn't disappear at all it was just literally a green ball going the whole way with the occasional glow yeah the, it the, just sort the, of the videos i saw most of them were taken off people's dash cams on their on their cars yeah um but they went it just went straight across the sky with the odd little bit of debris coming away from it um, yeah. but it was an awesome sight as you say bright green which is not normal to see across the sky <laughs> No, no. Like usually, you just see like a little white streak, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But with that, I mean, it must have been a slightly bigger chunk coming towards us. Luckily, not too big. Oh yeah. <laughs> but a few people probably sat there thinking, "Uh oh, New Year, end of the world. The Mayans were right, or something." I was waiting for them to <laughs> rear their heads anyway about that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then something that a lot of uh, online groups and papers and things like that have been chatting about is uh, the supermoon again. Amazing supermoons that, you know, are so rare they keep happening. Yeah. <laughs> they are great. Supermoons are brilliant. And one did open the new year. Like after the meteor, the next day, the first, uh, it was a supermoon. And as I said, we did we have discussed this in previous episodes. And that they aren't really as rare as the papers seem to make out. But then again, they always say meteor showers are going to be, you know, amazing. It's going to light up the whole sky. Because they like to dramatise everything, don't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. So yeah, so really, it's pretty much when you have a full moon and it's at perigee to us, so it's closest in its orbit to the Earth, and this happens quite, you know, it happens quite often, pretty much every couple of months or something like that, or a few months. But it is especially cool to see as it rises because the, as I've probably said before, the Earth's atmosphere creates an illusion as the light bends round its curve, which it is round; it's not flat. 
and uh, <laughs> this makes the moon look kind of uh, slightly red as it's rising sometimes yellow and and huge it makes it look bigger so this year's first full moon was on the first and it was a particularly good one it's quite good being at perigee so we've actually had quite a nice you know introduction to 2018 yeah it's been pretty good hasn't it yeah and uh, i read up a little bit on the supermoons i thought right so what's special about them so i had a little read up on them and uh, apparently supermoons do actually appear around about they say about 10 to 14 percent bigger than the average full moon and they can be up to 30 percent more luminous and the uh, astrologers not astronomers astrologers tried at one point to attribute them to earthquakes eruptions and even pulling people into space <laughs> because it was closer the gravity was going to be more intense mm-hmm. but in reality the moon actually only has about three percent more of a powerful pull on the planet which is still quite cool isn't it you think that's three percent more as it gets closer yeah but there's no need to panic it's not going to affect us and you know no one's going to get thrown into space or drop down an earthquake crack or something like that it does kind of affect tides and things a little bit but nothing to worry about yeah because they say you get a slightly higher tide and things don't you but that's no, that's what the moon does and without it apparently life might not exist because they say that tides and things all attributed to us crawling out of the ocean mm. but you never know and then pretty much from where we are now onwards the moon kind of wanes away from the first to a new moon on the 17th and in history a new moon used to represent a new birth for whichever zodiacal sign it happened to be in at the time. Mm -hmm. So you think about it, (laughs) if I'm a Virgo, there's probably a million other Virgos there. I doubt we're all going to get pregnant just because (laughs) there's a new moon in our sign. But it's a bit of fun and it's all there and that's what they represent, so why not? And uh, yeah, but astronomers nowadays, for us, it means that it's time for some deep sky observing because the moon's out of the way. And that's what we love, what I do anyway. As you know, the Orion Nebula, I spoke about it before, it's still there. It's really nice and high, it's really bright. And on a clear night at the moment in the cold, it's fantastic to see. Mm-hmm. So just below his belt, he's just down there by where his sword hangs. And it's great. It's a star nursery, so go and have a look at that. If you stay up a little bit later, you'll get Leo the Lion starts to rise. It's kind of to the left of Orion as it goes round and the star in Leo that makes his rear leg joint which is called Sertan I might have said that wrong C-H-A-R-T-A-N and if you've got Stellarium or something like that you'll see it there just click on it and it says Sertan and uh, it has a nice set of galaxies just below that star and they're called uh, the Leo Triplet and that's where you can actually get you know the name gives it away there's three galaxies there and you can get them all in one view for a telescope. And they're all kind of at slightly different angles to each other. So, you know, you get three for one. It's a bargain. Go there and have a look just below the star. See if you can get them out. If not, if you can't make them out, see if you can just drive somewhere, have a peek. And you're going to see three galaxies out there. You know, millions and millions of miles away, probably billions. And you can see them three for one. Everyone talks about Andromeda. Yeah, it's big, but you can see three. So why not? Yeah. All of this is kind of leading us towards the end of the month where on the 31st we have another full moon i don't think it's as super as the first one but it is a full moon Uh, there's nothing really special about it except that it happens to be the second full moon in the same month and this is where the term a blue moon comes from which a lot of people talk about and it's in the papers as well for some reason at the moment and uh, that's why the term once in a blue moon because it only happens once in a while and it's been named by american farming Almanacs, I think is the right word. And it's not actually blue. <laughs> Some people think that it's actually going to have 
a blue tinge to it. You can have a moon with a blue tinge, but it takes certain sort of atmospheric conditions to actually make that happen. I think something about maybe a, a volcanic eruption or something might throw something in the air, which makes it blue. But I've never seen one, not yet, but you never know. But it will actually, it will appear reddish. And it's going to be slightly more redder than usual, not just because of the light get bent into our atmosphere, but it actually is coming out of a total lunar eclipse. Now, unfortunately, we just miss it in the UK, so we won't be able to see the actual total lunar eclipse. I think you have to be in Australia or somewhere like that to see it. Mm -hmm. But as it's rising or coming out of it, we might just get a glimpse of that. So it might look like a nice big red moon as it's coming up. So have another look at that. Why not while you're there? And the reason, again, is just because the sun's light is being bent around the Earth and its atmosphere. It almost bends the light into its own shadow. So it doesn't go completely black. It has like a big red tinge to it because of the light bending round. And it's red because our atmosphere has quite a bit of carbon in it. So, you know, we've got forest fires and, you know, everything that we do with pollution and stuff like that is all in our atmosphere which is what causes the light to be red as it's sort of bent round and refracted. So you'll have a nice red moon as it rises. Now, there's a few other dates. There's not a lot, but a couple of things that we can talk about that you can put into your astronomical diary. Most of the planets that we like to see, they are in the morning. And I don't like really getting up very early, but <laughs> if you want to see Jupiter and Mars, they're easiest to see at the moment. They're quite close together. I think Mars is kind of just past Jupiter. But a couple of days ago, they were really, really close together. Yes, they were, weren't they? And uh, yeah, a lot of people posted pictures and said, oh, this is cool. And one guy, I think his actual Stellarium or his, his program showed that Mars was actually in front of Jupiter like transiting it oh right and i was like i was like i think you might be in the wrong country or possibly the wrong planet <laughs> with your because i don't think that's going to happen we had to look though just in case because i thought if it is i've got to see that but no no it doesn't happen so it just missed it but they were really close together so you've got a nice you know white blob of jupiter and a little red one right next to it Mm -hmm. So if you get up in the morning, it does. they do look really cool. They're actually quite high because I've popped out my garden once in a while to let the dogs out in the morning, as they do. And yeah, I can see them there, plain as day. And because it's cold, they're quite stable in the atmosphere. Really, really good to see. So if you can get up in the morning, if your kids want to see them, go for it. But if you don't want to get up in the morning and you don't enjoy it because <laughs> it's cold... If you wait till around June or July, which I'm sure we'll do a podcast about, we're swinging around and we're actually heading back towards them now. So as we're heading towards them, we're going to get the best views of Jupiter, probably Saturn and really close to Mars. We're going right past it almost in our orbit. And uh, June and July, that's the best time to see it. So I'll be out hopefully a lot with my uh, telescope looking at Mars because you will be able to see with a decent sized telescope, it's little ice caps and different, you know, the red and brown colors in it it's really really good especially mm -hmm. if you're going to take pictures but back to this month on the 15th saturn mercury and the moon it'd be a really thin crescent moon uh, it will form a nice little triangle so you'll be able to see the mercury is really hard to see so to have the moon there and saturn that will help you see where mercury is the only problem is it is quite close again to the rising sun as mercury always is so there is a good chance to see the elusive planet but be careful, don't look at the sun because you'll go blind and you know the drill. Mm -hmm. I will take no responsibility <laughs> for you looking at the sun because I've told you enough times. So yeah, that's quite cool to see. And if you go out at night, it's, it's, it's around for a quite a good few months yet. But it's known as a big celestial G. 
So there's a huge G that's kind of up in the sky and it's made from the main bright stars and it's all around the constellation of Taurus the Bull, which I think we've spoken about before, so hopefully you guys will know where it is now. It's just next to Orion to the right and in that as well is the Winter Triangle. So if you use your eyes and look up at Orion, the actual constellation, above you'll see the star Capella, which is in Auriga and it's known as the Goat Star. Now if you trace a line to Gemini, which is sort of to the left of it, the two stars that are the heads of Gemini, the two stickmen, Castor and Pollux, they're a part of it. So you trace it round to them, then down to Procyon, which is in the tiny constellation of Canis Minor, which is pretty much just two stars and a line, I believe. So it really is. I don't know how they made a dog out of it, but that's what it is. So that star there, and then go slightly round to the right, down to Sirius, which you can't miss because it's the brightest star in the Northern Hemisphere. So if you can't see that, <laughs> there must be clouds in the way. <laughs> and then from there, goes up a little bit more towards Orion again, and you'll have the blue star Rigel or Rigel, which is sort of like the bottom right of his foot, of his leg, and it's a nice blue star. And then you go up back into Taurus, the ball, and around about there, there's a star called Aldebaran, or Aldebaran, if whatever you want to call it, and that's the eye of the ball. And then from there, you've made a nice sort of light circle. You go back from Taurus to Betelgeuse in Orion. Now, everyone should know Betelgeuse because it's the big red one on your shoulder that's going to explode any time in the next million years. Mm -hmm. Please, while I'm still alive. Uh, yeah, so it's going to supernova. So when you go back to Betelgeuse, you'll see that that's created actually a huge G in the sky, which is really cool for kids. If you want to go out to the kids to get them to learn the main stars through all those constellations... There'd be a huge celestial jeep. So go out and have a look at that. See if you can find it. It's, I'm gonna. I've, I've never actually done it myself. It's kind of the first I heard of it, and I read up on it. I thought, ah, that's quite cool. That's a naked eye thing that people can go out and do. And then inside of that, you've got the winter triangle, and that's just. It's pretty much just an asterism that rises to kind of represent that winter's here. If you start at Betelgeuse, you've got. Procyon, which is in Canis Minor, which we've already spoken about, and Sirius. Those three stars, they're the ones that make the Winter Triangle. So when you do the G, you can also see the triangle in there. So see if you can see both of them. So you mentioned asterism there. Yes. What's the difference between an asterism and a constellation? Oh, you put me on the spot now, aren't you? This is something that we hadn't <laughs> planned. I like it. <laughs> yes, well, a constellation is a big pattern of stars... And then inside a constellation, you might have another shape, but it isn't actually the constellation, it's a part of it. So the best one to do is the, the Great Bear. So if you look at Ursa Major, you've got Ursa Major the Great Bear is a big constellation. But inside that, you've got the Plough, which is the easiest one to actually say. And that's an asterism because it's part of it, but it's actually easier to see the Plough as a shape than <laughs> actually the whole constellation. Right. So really, an asterism is just... A small shape it is it could be a constellation but it's just smaller and happens to be part of a constellation are you happy with that answer? yeah that that makes perfect <laughs> sense brilliant that's good at least i knew it <laughs> yeah so you've got asterisms and constellations i mean to be fair you can make your own asterisms if you find shapes out there there's all sorts of different ones you can even do your own 
So yeah, there are a couple of things you can see in January's skies. You may have realised that we've spoken a lot about the moon this month, and as you mentioned at the beginning, it's because, funnily enough, UK Astronomy, we actually, we've got an event on the 27th of January. Uh, it's in Aylesbury at Green Dragon Eco Farm. And uh, this is where we'll be doing an event, and the farm itself will, for a price, I think it's about £8.50, you'll get a farm-to-fork sausage in a barn, a nice hot drink, and then a uh, talk by myself, an introductory talk. And then we've actually got a NASA solar system ambassador called uh, Janelle Harrier Wilson. And she's going to be coming along and talking about, you guessed it, our moon. So you can see on the Green Dragons website, our Facebook group, or pop onto our website, www.ukastronomy.org. If you go onto the events page there, you'll find that we've got a new interactive public diary that Mick Scott has kind of magically done. I don't know how he's done it, but it's brilliant. And it will show all our year's events so far. There will be more added. There might be a few taken out, depending on what happens. So it's not set in stone. And uh, the great thing is that you guys can go on it, click. It will come up with all the details, a picture, how you can get involved, how you can book it. And it also includes coffee nights, uh, the local pub that I've got down the road at the, the Talbot Inn in Loughton. There's also a stargazing nights, which we've put in but maybe cancelled due to weather or if my wife decides that, you know, I've done too much astronomy and I need to take her out. So they're all there. So it's just there to make it easier for you guys to plan and come and meet us and say hello, which leads us on to something that uh, we're trying, aren't we, Mark? With TGP <laughs> Nominal. Yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, we're hoping... That what we're going to do, well, I am going to do it. I'm going to do it as soon as I'm off this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to put something on our website. We're going to actually do a page with an object, kind of of the month almost, linked to what we've been talking about on this podcast. Yeah. So that you guys, you know, I've talked about the Celestial G. That's going to go on there, and I'll do a picture with lines on it so you can actually see how to find it. So either while you're listening to the podcast or you want to go afterwards and have a look and find this object – You'll be able to go onto the website and it'll be there for you, almost like a little guide so you can see the Celestial G. Uh, the Winter Triangle will be pointed out there for you as well. So, but mainly, the main thing will be we're going to have a picture of the moon. And it's one that one of our Facebook members actually took quite recently. And his name's Lee Palmer. He's donated it to us to use, bless him, which is really kind. And I'm going to use it to point out a few good features that are on the moon that you guys can see throughout January. And uh, one of them is the Jura Mountain region, which is kind of, due to how the moon moves, it does have a slight wobble in the sky. So on the 26th of January, if you want a date to actually see this region, it's kind of favourable for it because it's, well, I like to say top left, because I find that easier than north and west and all that sort of thing. If you look there, that's kind of where it is, and that will be kind of tilted towards us a bit more. So it's going to be, you know, tilted favourably towards us so we can actually have a good look at it. Right. And it's named after a range, a mountain range that's actually found on Earth. And it's in eastern France and western Switzerland because it goes through both of the borders. Yeah, it's found the northwest. There you go. I've got it written there for me. Yeah, it's found on the northwest and it forms a sort of a semicircular ring around a bay that's there called Cinnaceridium. And uh, Sinus Arudin, it almost looks like a chunk has been bitten out of the huge mare Imbrium, which it's a part of. So there's a huge mare, and to the northwest, you've got this little bite almost taken out of it. 
which has a mountain range kind of around it. The mountains, they're really nice, especially if you get the Terminator right. So I think it's on the 26th, the shadow might be onto it or going towards it or around it. So it will look, you know, almost 3D and really good and tilted towards us. If you move to the right of them, you'll see that there's a nice crater and it's called Plato, which is named after the Greek philosopher in history. Uh, if you go below Plato and across the Mare, there's an enormous uh, and very famous bigger mountain range called Montes Apennines or Apennis. I think we spoke about it before, haven't we, on another podcast? Mm. And that's a really huge curved sort of mountain range, which is really good to see. That does look amazing as the Terminator drifts across it. The Juras isn't as big, but I think they're quite high and prominent. So they do, they almost look like when they, uh, you get the shadow across it, they glint on the top, so it almost looks like a crown over the actual bay. So yeah, if you go to the Montes of Pennine, sorry, and follow that down, you'll go along to a couple of other craters. You follow it down and round, there's two large, brighter craters, and it almost looks like rivers or valleys are flowing out from them in all directions. And it's called Copernicus, which is a famous mathematician, mm -hmm. and the smaller one next to it called Kepler, who was another mathematician. I think he was an astronomer as well. Yep. And uh, they all had their part to play in the history of science or astronomy, so they've had places named after them, which I think is really cool. Right. They're forever there in history for their, you know, they really helped astronomy and science get up where we are today. And I believe so, yeah. both of them have had space probes or spacecraft named after them. Yeah, Kepler, that's, uh, isn't that the one? I've forgotten now. That's probably deep, your bit of a spacecraft than space, I am. Yeah, a deep space probe. Yeah. Does it? Is that the one that looks at light? It does. Um, it's, yep. it, it looks at um, objects that are outside of our galaxy. Yep. So it's heading towards Andromeda and places like that. So it's looking for more Earth-like planets. Ah, so is it the one that sees when a planet goes in front of a star? Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of it can tell that there's a bit of shadow, you know, there's not as much light coming from it, so it can tell that there's a planet there. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Ah, cool, that's the one, excellent. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so you've got that there. So you can actually see the crater. You could learn about the man and then learn about the spaceship that's part of it as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you can make most of these out of a good pair of binoculars or, or a small telescope. And remember, just look at them at different times. As I, as I said, the Jura Mountains, they look particularly awesome at a certain point when the shadow's just hitting them, like a, like a crown over the bay. We'll put all of that on our website so you'll be able to see them all. I've done it in almost like the mare that they're all around. It's almost like a circle. So you'll start at the top left and work your way around to the crater, the mountain range, and then the other two craters. So it's just there on the website for you as a visual aid so that, you know, we can help get you out there and see stuff. That's, that's, that's the main aim of it. Rather than me just talking here, you can actually now go on the website and actually print it off if you want to and go and have a look. Just remember, if you're using a reflector, telescopes do have a tendency to flip it upside down or flip reverse it. So the image on the website may not be exactly to what you see for a telescope. You might have to turn it around a bit and have a little play to get it all to match up. But that's part of the fun. It's almost like a map and finding your way. So yeah, that's that's pretty much everything I have for you this month, Mark. So I hope you can get out there and see some bits. Yeah, definitely. And uh, hopefully we can team up again and do some bits and pieces because uh, we have been talking about some possible, I wouldn't call them jollies, field trips um, <laughs> <laughs> that we can possibly do. Yeah, you know me, I'm always, I'm always up for going out or 
or having a party as Yuri's night is, maybe uh, upon us in April, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is definitely upon us in, let's, in let's April. Let's make our first mention of it. Yeah, <laughs> and I've been speaking to the powers that be at uh, Yuri's night with our uh, intentions. And uh, yeah, they all seem up for it as well. Yeah, so watch this space because there might be a space party coming your way. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Any, any excuse for some music and space, eh? <laughs> Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.weebly.com. That's spanheadproductions.weebly.com. So, John, another packed show. Indeed. Well, I mean, it was mostly Star Wars, and that's okay. We haven't talked sci-fi stuff in a long time. We haven't. I mean, it's probably the last four, five shows we've been talking about space-related stuff, but there has been a lot going on. There's there's been a lot going on. Mainly SpaceX, but there's been a lot going on. Yeah, but you know what? They're the ones who are doing the big stuff now. Mm -hmm. You know, NASA's certainly not. Sorry, guys, but no, I I take that back. When it comes to rockets and so forth, they're not. Clearly, they've got a bunch of stuff coming up that we are really looking forward to. Oh, yeah. Stuff like James Webb and things like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The James Webb and and all that stuff. Uh, But when it comes to actual rocket launches, well, SpaceX is kind of really the the one doing that stuff lately mm-hmm. definitely obviously like to thank you again for being on board hey no problem thanks for putting up with me <laughs> and uh obviously to liz for being there with us at the event in december obviously ross for being there in december and also talking with us again today about what's going on up there in in the sky and about the moon and everything else yep. that's going on at the end of the month Please let the skies be clear. Please let the skies be clear. Definitely. And thanks again for all of you guys out there for listening. Don't forget, if you've got any questions to ask about the Mars Desert Research Program, get in touch with us. Um, Just after I finish speaking, there'll be details of how to get in touch with us. And um, we'll speak to you all again real soon. If you want to get in touch with us, then send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com. Because your input is our output. Or click on the social media icons on the top left of the page at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. Don't forget to rate and review us. You can find links on all our podcast pages. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Yo, toodles, man. (laughs) Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.